Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Welcome to the HIV podcast, Sarah. Welcome yourself. Oh, does that sound a bit aggressive? It did. It was very rude. That was very just like you women welcome yourself, Jess. Don't you welcome me? <laughs> well, <laughs> start as we mean to go on. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, how are you? Very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very good. I'm um I'm excited by I was gonna a ballet gate. What were you saying last week? Ballet. Ballet. Many variations of the yeah. word ballet. I'm excited about that. But before we get started, you can see me waving paper around at you wildly. It's because I do actually have something to say today. Ready? Okay, so we had someone get in touch. We always like this podcast to be a voice for sort of everyone from our community. So if there's ever an event or, I don't know, something you've got going on, like I've said, not just that you're going to the shops, but if there's anything of importance and relevance to everybody, please do drop us a line. And someone actually got in touch with us, Mark John Stevens, and he wanted to ask us if we are going to mark HIV Long-Term Survivors Awareness Day, which is on the 5th of June. Now, You've heard of that, right? Are you going to judge me if I say I've never heard of it? Have you never heard of it? So I've only heard of it in passing. N- nothing big, right, okay. never anything in the UK. And I think I've just heard of it because I've seen bits and bobs on social media, perhaps mm. in the US, you know? Right, I've got you, yeah. And this is the exact point why Mark got in, got in touch with us. So this day, it's been running in the US since 2014, and it's really big in the US. And it's to highlight the particular issues that long-term survivors face and raise their visibility. And I'm going to read you a little quote from the email that Mark sent, because actually he said it perfectly. And I think he has some great points. So he said, long-termers tend to be a little overlooked, which is a shame. For they gave so much alongside their colleagues who died. They're a link to the past and without them, we might not enjoy the services and medication we have today. You made the point in your podcast on Jonathan Blake that newly diagnosed people still ask how long they have left. 
Marking this day might increase awareness of this group, which would filter through, and newbies might be a little more reassured. There are lots of reasons why this day should be marked, and he's put in brackets, not celebrated, there's a crucial difference. I think it's a worthwhile issue, and I hope you do too. And then he went on to say, should you be wondering why I'm so interested in this subject? It's because Jonathan's story, and he's referring to Jonathan Blake, the Mm. episode we did on that. Jonathan's story was my story. I was rushed to hospital in March 1982 and subject to a barrage of tests like Jonathan. And while my doctors suspected grid, they did not tell me their suspicions until all test routes were exhausted. Even so, from the start, I was placed in a side room. No visitors, meals at the door and anyone entering fully suited and booted. It was a couple of years later and after a long period of celibacy, and he's put in brackets, we all had our own responses, HIV test confirmed it. And unfortunately, in 1992, AIDS. However, you all know about the Lazarus effect and I'm happy to say that I returned to work in 2000. So that's a little bit about, obviously, Mark and why he feels it's so important as a long-term survivor. And I would say we absolutely agree, don't we, Sarah? No, we definitely agree. Yeah, do you know, it's one of those moments, isn't it, when you suddenly think, why have we not been doing this? That's exactly how I felt, a bit of a mind-blowing moment where you just go, Mm. hang on. And and then the more I had looked around, it was like, there there isn't, no one's doing anything. So, look, really simply, we're not asking anyone to do anything bananas or start organising bake sales or anything. We've designed a little image, a little logo for HIV Long-Term Survivors Awareness Day. And I've made a WeTransfer link so that anyone can just download it if they'd like to use it, if they'd like to share it either on June 5th or beforehand and information around HIV Long-Term Survivors Awareness Day. And you'll find that link if you go into our Instagram, there's a link tree in our bio Mm -hmm. go into that i'll also put it on the tvps website and i'll try and share it on our stories as well but if you'd just rather like screen grab it when we share it and share it please do we're not gatekeeping we want everyone if they can to get involved and post about it so that is on the 5th of june monday the 5th of june so please do remember that and thank you so much to mark john stevens for getting in touch and highlighting that because it is really important yeah thank you very much i'm really glad you got in touch i had no idea Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, thank you. So, Sarah, over to you. Oh, excellent. Well, can I do a quick shout out before we start? We're doing shout outs now. I'm only doing one shout out to somebody who recognised my voice from the podcast. Really? Can I just say before you start, I feel a bit like we're, um, you know, when you're on something like, I don't know, Pat Sharp's Fun Hour on like Greatest Hits Radio. I feel like that's what's happening now. I've gone rogue. (laughs) Okay, go on. Do a shout out to the lovely Adam, who I met a couple of weeks ago, who says he loves the podcast. And how lovely that people take the time to even tell you these things. So thank you, Adam. We appreciate you listening. And you said he recognised you from your voice? Yes. In my mind, I'm picturing you in a supermarket and someone is just like, I know that voice. Uh, No, it wasn't there. It wasn't in a supermarket. Imagine that. That would be amazing. Yeah. One day that's going to happen, Sarah. Do you think? Yeah. Knowing us, Jess, it will be in some sort of hideous circumstances, like we're having some some screening for... Well, you know what I'm... Yeah, we'll be having like a smear test and the nurse will go, oh, well, she's got the stirrups out. It'll be, oh, do you... Are you in a podcast? And it'll be like, oh, no, this is not... This is not how I wanted this to happen. Oh, no. Exactly. That, that's how it will pan out. Yes, it will. us. And we'll still have our socks on because... There's nothing more embarrassing than having, I don't know, your vagina looked at with your socks on, but you still keep them on, don't you, anyway? so I never take my socks off. That's a step too far. 
I know, but it's also embarrassing to just lay there with nothing else on but your socks. <laughs> and then, and that's when it will happen. The height of the most embarrassing ways that someone will recognise our voices. I, I put my good socks on and a nice long jumper for some reason. <laughs> just for some extra support. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, because I feel that tiny square of tissue they give you to cover yourself is not enough for me. No, it's it. No, it's absolutely not enough. I want like a full blanket or something. I don't want a tiny square tissue. Why do they do that? Here's a transparent piece of material, not even material, terrible material. Just put that over you. Now you're completely at ease, aren't you? Not really. No. <laughs> Although, I mean, I admit it's better than the alternative. Socks on, absolutely nothing. And a jumper like a toddler. You know when toddlers run around in like a jumper and socks, but they've like taken their nappy off and stuff. That's how it feels. I mean, when Adam said to me that oh, I recognise your voice from the podcast, I don't think even he could know that it would end up with us talking about smear tests. There you go. We've gone from Adam to talking about our vaginas, Sarah. Yes. <laughs> it's Why so not? easily done, isn't it? <laughs> well, the Kraken, as we know, you know, <laughs> I need to talk about her. I need to keep her on the agenda. Why is that name still going on? I thought we'd got over that. A friend of mine who listens to the podcast, he messaged me and said I was going to have a like a like an octopus tattoo on my back, like a kraken. And he was like, I'm really rethinking that now. I found out that that's what you call your vagina. <laughs> Why? Still get it. Like it's like a homage to it, right? I can I totally understand where he's coming from. <laughs> And I'm still not on board with the name. I think we should just move on. Let's. I want. I'm going to come up with it. Will come up with a new name for Jess's vagina. I thought you were trying to call it Will. I thought you were like <laughs> call it Will. Like, no, no, Sarah. There's no nominations here. Other people can name yours, but mine's taken. She's done. <laughs> right. Anyway, let's actually move on because I feel like <laughs> oversharing. I don't know what's going on with us two we've today. Lost all the, yes. We've lost all the listeners from Paraguay that that joined us last week. They're like, no. <laughs> I don't blame them. Me neither. Okay, look, this week, oh gosh, I just don't know how you get from what we're talking about to this because we're, we're talking about ballet. Of course we are. We're actually talking about one of the most famous ballet dancers ever, Rudolf Nureyev. So I don't know much about ballet. Oh, hang on. Can I just say before you continue that um, Jess will edit this out, but that was her dog's barking. Jess's response to that is just to look at them and go, shh, no, thank you. <laughs> my response to my dog is always, I don't know why I do it. As soon as they start barking, I'll go, no, thank you. Nobody <laughs> wants that today, do they? So okay. I know about ballet. Do you? Oh, do you want to hear the most tragic story of my life? It's actually not always. at all, obviously. But do you remember on Simon Mayo's show, they'd have that music like, do, 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 do. Oh, that wasn't, that was Simon Bates, wasn't it? No, Simon Mayo, wasn't it? Mate, did he carry it on? Did all the Simons on Radio 1 just do this? If your name was Simon, did you play that music? You had to have the music and it's like, what was it called, yeah. our tune? Something like that, but they played this like sad music for anyone that wasn't, not in the UK. And someone would tell like a sad story over the yeah. top of it. So that's what I want. I want like sad music playing. So basically when I was like, Four? Yeah, I would have been four. So I started doing ballet. I was really good, really, really good. And so they started training me more and more and I started doing solos and shows. You know, you're tiny, aren't you? So you just go along with whatever everyone's telling you to do. And then I got scouted. You ready for this? And offered an audition at the Royal London Ballet at four years old. Can I just say four? Oh. Yeah, but the tragedy came because obviously, you know, my my ballet teacher is really big kudos if someone from your ballet school gets into Royal London Ballet. So 
she was like saying to my mum, you have to bring her. She has to train like all the time. So I was there training all the time. Long story short, I ended up having to go to hospital, have my leg put in a cast because I was so little. I think I turned five at this point because I now had started school. And they basically told me I could never dance again because it had ruined my tendons. Because I'd over, you know, like if you have a puppy and you walk it far too much, even though it's got all the energy in the world, it can really mess up its growth. So that's essentially what happened to me. How how dramatic that they were like, she will never dance again. Oh my God, imagine the career you could have had. But never mind. Here I am on a podcast with you, Sarah. <laughs> yes, that's very true. And you are blessed to be oh, here. Right, right, exactly. So that's my ballet knowledge. There you go. Oh, I hope this doesn't stir up too many emotions for you then. I should have brought like a, a, a hanky to dab my eyes throughout it. Like, could have been me. Could have been you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because all I can think of now is how clumsy you are in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the ballerina, tippy yeah. toes person you were back then. Yeah. No, I'm very, very clumsy. Literally yesterday, I opened my bathroom door into my own face. How does that happen? I think it's just when they put the music on, I'm just, I, I, yeah, I'm not even great. We should try anymore. that. We should do that in the office. I'll put some ballet music on and let's see if your toes just go mental. Probably will, you know. Yeah. Right. We'll try that. Plie is all over the place. I have no idea what that is. So I'm going to laugh along like it's some sort of joke. <laughs> Could well be telling me to F off. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Rudolph, I'm with you. Okay. Two interesting facts about him. I thought they were interesting. You might think they're very dull. Before we start, so he was born on a train. That's interesting. Hmm? Mm. where was it going right and i don't know the detail <laughs> i just know that he was born on the train oh, a train not the train <laughs> the train of life <laughs> and the second interesting fact is his tombstone is very ornate so it's draped in a mosaic of an oriental carpet it's really cool where is it in france paris right okay oh wow and I, I was very impressed by it I, when you organize my headstone and that is one of your jobs as a podcast partner i want something similar and do you know what i'm thinking i'm thinking we should depict the cloak of many colors in some sort of sparkly ceramic i want okay. it to be textural people right. can sit they can mourn my death and they can stroke my cloak i just realized as i said it that doesn't sound very good and, and, and i'll put on it here lies the glittery ball bag of Berkshire. Yeah. Now stroke her cloak. This <laughs> is getting better and better. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, that, that's my wishes recorded. Thank you. Okay. I <laughs> noted, and obviously it's on a podcast, so it's, you know, that's going to live forever. Okay. Leg warmers on. Let's get ready. We're going to the ballet scene. So Rudolph was classed as one of the best ballet dancers of all time. I have no frame of reference for ballet other than Wayne's sleep. But I believe if you loved ballet, Seeing Rudolph perform was a massive deal. Have you ever been to the ballet? No. Honestly, I genuinely urge you, anyone that thinks that they are like, oh, that's not really my thing. It's amazing. Oh, especially like at Christmas, the Nutcracker. Just watching how they move is amazing. Honestly, you should do it just once in your lifetime. Should we go? Should we go together? Yes. Yes. I love the ballet. Oh, no, I'm going to be really irritating, though. I can already see this. You'll just be like, oh, my God, like, shut up, Jess. <laughs> and I'll be like, look at them, look at them, I love them, look at this move. Look at this move, look what they're doing. Yeah, you're back to Rudolph. So he was born in 1938 on a train in Siberia. I don't think, I don't I don't think it was planned that he was going to be born on the train. I think it, he just kind of yeah. popped out or maybe pirouetted out. Isn't there a train that travels, all, like the Trans-Siberian Trans, Express? Yeah, 
What? I wonder if that's what he was born on. Anyway, when he was little, his mum took him and his sisters to see a ballet called The Song of the Cranes. I think they're birds, not actual cranes. That I would imagine so, Sarah, yes. Uh, when you said cranes, I did not think of the building equipment. I imagined <laughs> the bird. Oh, I did. I was like, oh, how progressive and no. industrial. No, think Swan Lake, you know. Okay. There we go. Okay. Well, he fell in love with ballet. He started lessons and in his teens, he joined the Marinsky Ballet in Leningrad. He had also auditioned and been accepted to the Bolshoi Ballet Company, which I yeah. have heard of, but he chose Marinsky instead and he became their principal dancer from the outset. There's no need for him to work his way up the ranks. He must have been so, so yeah. good. How miffed would you be if you were also at that ballet company and you'd been there for ages and he's just oh. whizzing past you? I'd be right like up to kind of principal dancer. Yeah, you'd be there like sodding Rudolph, coming in with his <laughs> twinkly toes, ruining it for everyone. Yeah. And this story about being born on a train, whatever. Who can compete with it? Anyway, it wasn't long before he uh, became known as the Soviet Union's best known dancer. And by the late 50s, he's, I mean, he's a superstar in Russia. Absolutely huge. But he's also quite rebellious. When the ballet company prepares to tour Paris and London... He's not their first choice to tour with them. Just because of his attitude. I quite like that, a ballet rebel. So the Soviet government, they wanted to use the opportunity to demonstrate their cultural supremacy to the West. Russia, always trying to show off, aren't they? Careful what you say, Sarah. Don't put that in, edit it. (laughs) So um, yeah, they want to demonstrate their cultural supremacy to the West. I didn't say anything after that at all. And they don't want him ballsing it up. He's too much of a liability, they feel. Okay. And there's also tension between Rudolph and the company's artistic director as well, and that's not helping matters either. So the French intervene. One of the tour organisers has seen him dance, and they urge the Soviet authorities to let him dance in Paris. They relent, and he goes on tour. But on This tour, is how he ends up in France. Uh, yeah, this is how he ends up in France. On tour, the ballet company have rules about mingling with foreigners. And Rudolph, I mean, he ignores all of this. He's regularly at all those gay bars in Paris having a having a fine time. Um, but that causes panic for the ballet company, but not only for them, also the KGB, so Russia's security agency, because they are keeping a very close eye on him. Oh, they've got their beady peepers still watching him, even though he's not there. Actually, not just on him, but on the, on the whole kind of ballet company, really. And they can see that he's going against what the whole company's been advised to do and he's going to these gay bars and they want to send him home. But at the airport, the ballet company tell Rudolf, you've got to go straight home. You're wanted for a special performance at the Kremlin in Russia. And he's suspicious. And he's like, I don't I don't buy this. So I'm, I'm just not Well, I mean it's like it's like them going, so we've organised a very special party and you're the only one invited. And you're like, Yes, I mean that sounds a bit like it's not true. <laughs> like I know. And so they try a different tactic. So they say to him, your mum's ill. <laughs> I know. <laughs> They're horrible. Just like... But I think the thing is, if the KGB to you, that person needs to be out of France now, you know, they're going to cause us huge embarrassment. You're going to try anything, aren't you, to just kind of obey them? I mean, I probably would have just tried, right, the KGB are pretty pissed off with you. And I'd be like, okay, I'm off. So I'll get, I'll just get home now. I'll just, yeah. 
See, Rudolph's having none of it, so he refuses again. But, you know, his main worry for returning home is that he's going to be put into prison. So I can totally understand for the fact that, you know, they believe him to be a huge embarrassment. He's going against what he's been told to do in another country. He's blatantly disregarding orders, which for us sounds weird, doesn't it? But, you know, back then in Russia, that's how everybody lived. And yeah, he's like, no, if I go home, you're going to put me in prison. It's just not happening. I'm going to stay right here. And that's what he did. With the help of the French police uh, and a Parisian friend, he escaped the KGB minders. I think he said minders then. What's that all about? Uh, And he asks France for asylum, which he's granted. Within a week, he signed up with a French ballet company whose name I'm not even going to begin to pronounce. Oh, I bet it's something beautiful, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear my Berkshire accent butchering the French language. Bonjour. I still remember that. <laughs> Sarah? Jumapel? Sarah. <laughs> the thing is, if I ever try and speak French, I just, I sound like Inspector Clouseau. Yeah. Just, just can't help but put on this awful French accent. Well, it's making an effort, isn't it? No, I think that's nice. I think that's appreciated. Yeah, but I saw very sort of, uh, no, I'm not even going to do it. Let's move on. So whilst on tour with them in Denmark, he meets his partner, Eric Brun, who is a Danish ballet dancer. By now, Soviet Union, really not happy with him. He's on the naughty list. Yes, very much so. They're so unhappy, they make his parents and dance teacher write to him, urging him to return home. Doesn't work. In fact, what Rudolf, I mean, it's not that he doesn't want to go home. He petitioned the Soviet government for many years to be allowed to visit his mum, but he wanted to do it on his terms, understandably. And they weren't having any of that. And it wasn't actually until 1987, when his mum was dying, that they actually kind of met halfway and he was allowed to return home. Oh, really? And and he wasn't put in prison or anything? No. Okay. No, because things have moved on by then and Russia isn't so bonkers. He was after he'd been back to see his mum, he did return again to see some of his old teachers and colleagues. So, you know, the rules were relaxed in the end. During all this time, he's dancing around the world. Uh, he was in the Royal Ballet. He danced with Mar- oh, Margot Fontaine. Now, you must have yes, heard of yes, her. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you've heard of Darcy Bustle, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah. She was a judge on Strictly, wasn't she? Right. But I feel that she's probably more famous for her ballet dancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. He, um, yes, he danced with Margot Fontaine. She's another very famous ballet dancer. He's regularly traveling to make guest appearances. He's going on tours, but he is still being rebellious. So on the 11th of July, 1967, Fontaine and Nureyev, after performing in San Francisco, were arrested on nearby roofs, having fled during a police raid on a home. Oh, wow. They were bailed and charges of disturbing the peace and visiting a place where drugs were used were dropped later that day. Lack of sufficient evidence. I mean, there can't be many ballet dancers that have been arrested, surely. Oh, I don't know. I bet you get loads of letters now, Sarah. What, from ballet dancers proud yeah. of their criminal records? Yes. Wouldn't you be? Bucking the trend of people thinking that you're all like, I don't know, like like a goody two-shoes, I suppose, is the image. But it's like, no. Yes, that is the image, though, isn't it? That they're mm. very kind of good and wholesome and pure. And, well, I look forward to being proved wrong. Right. So this is all well and good, but HIV has to come into play somewhere, doesn't it? Otherwise, I'm just featuring famous people. It's just what we do now. For no reason. Just pick somebody. Yeah, so it does. In 1984, Rudolph is diagnosed with HIV. But for a few years, he just refuses to acknowledge it. In fact, he refuses to acknowledge anything 
to do with HIV. But by the late 80s, he's not able to dance as well and fans are noticing that something is amiss. It's a shame that he just sort of couldn't deal with that diagnosis and had to block it out for so long. I know. It is very sad and his health deteriorates during 1991. By 1992, he's very poorly, but he's a very strong person. He's still managing to do some work. So he obviously he can't dance, but he appears as a conductor at a performance in Russia, actually. So he is able to see, you know, all he wants to do is perform. Yeah. And fair play that he's still doing whatever he can. If it's not dancing, he's still involved doing something. Yeah. When he returns to France, he's admitted to hospital with a high fever. He's operated on for pericarditis, which is a heart condition. Okay. Um, And he's got a goal. He wants to get better and conduct an American ballet theatre production of Romeo and Juliet. And he does manage to do that. But by July 1992, the pericarditis returns. He's not keen on any further treatment. I don't know if that's denial again. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's, that is a shame. Mm. He does go on to attend a premiere of a ballet production called La Bayadere. And that evening, the French uh, culture minister's there and he gets presented with um, an award, the highest level of cultural award that you can get. Again, I'm not going to pronounce it in French. Wait, wait, Rudolph gets presented with it or the man gets presented with it? No, so Rudolph, um, after that performance, gets presented with this award on behalf of the French people. Well, like culturally, he'd given so much, hadn't he? And that's what they're recognising, his cultural contribution. By uh, November 1992, Rudolph is admitted to hospital and he dies there from AIDS-related complications on the 6th of January 1993. He was 54 um, and his funeral was held in the marble foyer of the Paris Opera House. Wow, I bet that was stunning. I bet it was, actually, and very fitting. Yeah, absolutely. As we said earlier, he's buried in the Russian cemetery near Paris. So anyone that wants to view his amazing headstone, it is amazing. That's the place to go and do it. Now, this will be familiar to you. Did Rudolf Nureyev announce he had HIV whilst he was alive? No. Did his doctor announce it after he died? Yes. Amanda Blake, part two, right? For anyone that's. Well, not quite. Okay. Not quite. Because initially I thought that too. And I was like, what is going on with these doctors? But no, his doctor did announce how uh, Rudolf died. But he did it with his permission. Just to just to let everyone know, in case we have new people joining us, um, if you go back and listen to an episode called Amanda Blake um, from actually not that long ago. No. Yeah, after she passed away, her doctor basically just decided to tell everyone, we tried to unpick why he did that. We never get to the bottom of it. That's basically Amanda Blake in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay, so this is good, though. So this is different because Rudolph gave that permission. Yes. So Rudolph's doctor was called Michelle Canessi. And he said, this is taken from the New York Times, say he's been his doctor for the last nine years and announced today that the dancer and choreographer had had AIDS. Although many people knew he was ill, following an interview with Le Figaro, the most widely read French national newspaper, this was the first official confirmation that he had had the disease. I bet it's like everything. I bet there were rumours circulating. Definitely. So at the time when his death was announced, they said he had cardiac complication following a grievous illness. But then when he was interviewed by Le Figaro about why he was now willing 
to discuss Rudolph's condition more frankly. Dr. Canessi said that he, he, him, I'm not quite sure, quite sure what I was going for there, that he and Nureyev had determined the wording of the death announcement. Right. And that in the press of events last week, he had not altered it, even though Nureyev had given him authority to do so. He's saying, and he's been his doctor for nine years, so he would have developed a quite strong relationship with him. And he's saying, look, it's a really difficult time for us all. We had the announcement and I just didn't have time to change it. And also, you know, doctors probably not used to being the focus of attention. Yes. It's a big deal he's having to announce his death anyway. Mm. He's saying, look, we talked about it. And what Rudolph had said is, do what you think is okay. That could be anything. Uh, yeah, no, I get why he would, though. I mean, he... Yeah. It's so difficult, isn't it? But I think the doctor at the time is just like, well, we'll we'll just go with the agreed wording and we'll just leave it at that. It's a good shout. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the, the best way to move forward. So he's asked, well, why then, if that was what was agreed, are you now telling people the truth? And he's saying, well, look, I'm giving this interview because I'm thinking of all the other people, the ones who are sick now. And saying, if I clarify things now, presumably there were lots of rumours going around by this point, it's because there is no such thing as a shameful disease. So I'm thinking of all the anonymous patients who are suffering and being ostracised. Rudolph lived for 13 or 14 years with the virus, um, and people should know that. He was too famous to be able to hide the truth. That's actually a lovely way of putting it, a really nice reason for speaking out about it and sharing it. And he also went on to say that the reason Rudolph didn't reveal his illness before his death is because he thought it might limit his career. Yeah, well, fair enough. You know, we know there was lots of stigma, so it probably would have, if we're honest. Yes. And there was another interesting point as well that the doctor raised because he was saying, you know, one of Rudolph's main concerns is that he wouldn't be able to work as freely as he was at the time. So, for example, he was very concerned that he wouldn't be allowed into the United States because they did refuse entry to people who were HIV positive. And I mean, that's it's not been that long that things have changed. No, so he's trying to kind of protect his career. And, and also, you know, who wants to acknowledge that some countries are so prejudiced that they just like, well, you just can't come in. And I, I like this doctor, actually. So after Rudolph's death, he was criticised. It astounds me that people do this. By people who felt he should be more for he should have been more forthright about his illness, a bit like Freddie Mercury when we featured him, and people were saying we should have been open about it. It's your, it's your choice, yeah. And, and exactly, and apparently, like- if you're in the public eye, you don't get that choice. People can decide for you, and this is what people are saying to him. He says you should have told people before you died. You know, you're obviously ashamed of it yourself. No, so the doctor shuts it all down, and he said, "Look, I've clarified the situation now for you guys." told you the real cause of death. The rest is his private life. And I do not want to get into that. Yes, yeah, exactly. And nobody else's business, his choice. And it doesn't matter what the reasons were that he didn't want to. Absolutely. So there you go. That's our first foray into ballet. Oh, that rhymes. Foray into ballet. Sometimes, Jess. Do you just amaze yourself? I do. Sometimes I just amaze myself, Jess. Aren't I brilliant? That was good. So there you go. The most famous ballet dancer, one of the most famous ballet dancers in the world, who despite living with HIV at a time when HIV meds weren't widely available, still managed to achieve so much within his field. Wonderful. I'm so glad we featured him and obviously also acknowledged 
my sad tale around ballet as well, Sarah. So I feel like, you know, I've got some closure around that too, and I've been able to share that with you. Yes, I am. Well, I say I'm sorry that your ballet career didn't take off, but you know, it would have meant that we would never have met. So there a part of you that just wants to prove them wrong. Well, no, because it, it did really hurt, and I had to have my leg in a cast. Mm. So, and maybe it's why my feet are so small. Maybe they just stopped growing. Oh, this, they are insanely small. I've said it to you before. I do not know how you stand up. I always get really frustrated when um, I'm out with people and they go, oh, I've got such tiny feet. And I'm like, oh, what size are you? And they're like, I'm a four. And I'm like, you ain't seen nothing. So my feet are a two and a half. They're just ridiculous. Yeah, they really are. And my hands are really tight. I was having my nails done and the man who was doing my nails said to me, your nail beds are so small, I'm going to have to buy a different brush. And I thought he said to me, it's really charming. And I went, oh, thank you. Is it? And he went, yes, very challenging. And I was like, oh. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like complimenting me. No, he was not. He was not happy. You have a man do your nails. Yeah, yeah, I do. He's really good. Blame my mind a little bit. Know, I'm very much about equality, aren't I? And yeah. <laughs> Your pink jobs and your blue jobs. <laughs> But um, yes, tiny feet, but maybe that's why. Who knows, Sarah? Who knows? Well done on a wonderful, wonderful episode. Well, you're very welcome. And when when's our date to the ballet? Should I start looking into it? Oh, yes, please do. I can't wait. <laughs> if anyone's got any ballet suggestions, uh, you know, hit us up in the DMs. Let us know. What she means is, has anyone got free ballet tickets? <laughs> yes. There For we two go. Two poor charity workers. Now we're talking. One who will willingly go to the ballet and one that will go under duress. But, you know, we'll sit it out because she's a good podcast partner. Ah, that's very true. Okay, wonderful. What what do we have next week? Haven't we got something a bit fun? I mean, they're all fun. Hang on. They're all fun. Look at me backtracking. They're all fun. They're all fun. I don't know what we're doing next week. We're doing, um, it's European Testing Week next week. Is it really already? Yeah, yeah. Yes, oh, that is how fast it, everything is coming around. So it's European HIV and Hepatitis Testing Week next week. So next week's episode, we're going to be having a little look at all the different ways that you can test. And I believe I am the guinea pig that is going to be testing myself on the podcast. That's why I'd forgotten, because I don't actually have to prepare much. No, you don't. No, you don't. You'll just oh, watch me prick my fingers. That's what you'll be doing. Again, with the rude words. It's your mind. It's your saucy, saucy mind. So it's demonstrating how to perform an HIV test on yourself. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.